Welcome to the City Hills Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that the message today helped you encounter God, love people, and discover purpose. For more information about who we are as a church, head over to cityhillschurchsd.com. If you would like to partner with us financially, click the Give button at the top of the homepage on our website. And now, let's jump right into the message. Well, welcome to week two of our Encountering God series. And for those of you dads out there, happy Father's Day. We're so honored that you are hanging out with us for a couple minutes today. Father's Day is always one of those like really funny holidays, right? Uh, every year I watch as the women in my life just kind of like dissolve under this pressure of getting the right gift for us as, as Lauren, my wife, tries to figure it out, or my mom or my sister-in-law trying to figure out what my brother-in-law wants, and, and then we're all trying to figure out what to get our, our father-in-laws and our dads, and it's like they have everything. What, what should we do? And it's just this pressure that feels overwhelming. And, and somehow we end up with either a gift card or socks or our 27th like grill utensil. And, and it's like, I love you so much, but I can only use one spatula at a time. It's like 27 of these things, are, it's just not going to work. But it's, it's the thought that counts. But today I want to talk to you about a different kind of pressure, not just gift-giving pressure, but a different kind of pressure that's in our lives. But before we jump into that, I just wanted to remind you why we're in this series. We're in this series called Encountering God because I believe that's exactly what God wants to do that God is trying to intersect with our lives at this moment in this season and all the craziness that's happening in our world. And he's trying to encounter us. He's trying to have a moment with us that will reshape and redefine our future. Because the reality is that you and I are walking into what we're considering a new normal, what life looks like on the other side of so many of these things that we've been walking through over the last couple months. And as we get into these new seasons, we're establishing new rhythms, new habits, new freedoms, new, just a new life, a new sense of normal. And I believe that as we get into that, God's trying to reach out and speak to us. And that's why this series is so incredibly important. Today, we're going to be talking about a really familiar story for those of you who've been in church. Maybe you grew up going to Sunday school and you've heard the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And those of you who aren't from church, you're, you're like, is that like a bad 70s band? Like, what in the world? They are. They're actually pretty good. It's this story about these three guys who end up getting thrown into this fiery furnace, and God does something really, really incredible. And we're going to look at that story in just a few minutes. But I think one of the things that we miss so many times in these Bible stories is understanding what leads to those moments understanding the context of which that story happens. And that's what I want to share with you today as we look at the beginning of their story before they get to the fiery furnace. And so in order for you to do that, I want you to put on your like National Geographic hat and just go through the sands of time with me all the way back to 605 BC. And in 605 BC, the Babylonian Empire was taking over all of the world. They were just spreading everywhere they could be. And the king was called King Nebuchadnezzar. And this king, he set up his, his uh, kingdom in what's modern day Iraq. And what's really unique about him is that he decided to take over these countries and these different civilizations. And at this time, he decided 
He wanted Israel. In particular, he wanted to take over Jerusalem because it represented such a, a religious center for so many people. But he was a really brilliant leader in the way that he handled things because he wouldn't just go in and just annihilate the people right off the bat. What he would do is he would go into the kingdom. He'd find the best, the brightest, the smartest, the most beautiful, the, the, the handsome leaders. Many times he would take the royal family he would pull them to the side and he would just destroy the rest of the civilization. But what he would do with those best and brightest people is that he would actually put them through a three-year training program. Better way to explain it is a brainwashing. He would put them into his palace and he'd give them new clothes, a new identity. He would put earrings in their ears. He would change the way that they ate, change the way that they lived. He even changed their names and gave them Babylonian names. And he would just begin to strip away their old culture, their old beliefs, their old habits, their old gods. And he would just create this new mentality for them that they were now Babylonians. And what was really interesting about it, and it was so effective, because instead of being destroyed like the rest of their people, they were actually brought into the palace and experienced some of the greatest riches of the world at the time. And so many of them embraced this because the best and the brightest of that group would actually continue working for the king and just get to live this extraordinary life that everyone else in their family, everyone else in their people, they would never get to experience. And so this worked for a really long time until King Nebuchadnezzar came across four Hebrew, Hebrew boys that they saw through the game. They saw through this brainwashing process and yes, they, they allowed the king to change their clothes and, and to make their appearance look a little different. And, and they took the names of the, the Babylonians and, and had different names than their own Hebrew names. But at some certain point, they drew a line in the sand and they said, enough is enough. And these three friends, one of, one of the guys that was the leader, his name was Daniel. And he's famous for Daniel and the lion's den. He's famous for the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, the Old Testament being the beginning of the Bible before Jesus was walking on the earth. And Daniel and his three friends, they made a decision within themselves that they were not going to allow the gods of Babylon to become their gods. And so what they did is uh, when they were being served food, the Babylonians would try to give them meat and wine that was presented to these false gods. And Daniel and his three friends were like, nope, that's where we draw the line. You can call me whatever crazy name you want to call me, but I am, no, no, no. This is just not going to happen. We're drawing a line in the sand. And matter of fact, we'll challenge you and show you that our God is real. For the next 10 days, we're not going to eat that meat that we, has been presented to idols. We're not going to do that. It's against our beliefs. It would be dishonoring to our God. So for the next 10 days, we want you to just feed us veggies and fruit and water. That's, that's all we're going to eat. Give everybody the rest. And at the end of the 10 days, let's just see what happens. Let's see who's healthier. Let's see who's stronger. Let's see who's performing better. And so God shows up in the way that he normally does. Let's check it out in Daniel 1, starting in verse 15. It says, at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. 
God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of dreams and visions. And when the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all these men before King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked to him and, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are the Hebrew names. So then they entered the royal service. Verse 20, I love this. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them 10 times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. What I wanted you to see before we jumped into the rest of their story was that these guys made a decision. They made a decision early on. They didn't wait till they had more power. They didn't wait till they had more prestige. They didn't wait till they had more money, more influence, more security, more protection. They didn't wait for all of the right recipes to be around them. From the very beginning, when they had nothing at all, they were captives of the Babylonians. They drew a line in the sand and they said, these are our principles. These are the things that we're going to build our life on. And we're not willing to budge on them. They didn't wait for the the perfect storm in order for them to live out what they felt God was calling them to do. And it leads us to this incredible truth that we're going to be tackling today. What they understood and what you and I have to understand in our life as we go into this new normal is that in life, we can live by pressure or we can live by principles. We can live by pressure or we can live by principles. You see, these guys made a a firm call in their life that this is what God has called us to. This is what he's asking us to do. And we're not willing to budge. We're not willing to compromise. These are our values. And what happened is that they refused to live under the pressure of the Babylonians. And so what happened is God helped them thrive through their principles. They refused to let pressure determine their life. Instead, they thrived through their principles. And you think, well, what does that mean? What does that look like in our lives? The reality is that each of us face pressure. Each of us deal with circumstances and and just moments in our life where the pressure is pushing us further and further away from who we actually want to be. We've talked about this before. We don't drift to becoming healthy. We actually drift to unhealth. And so in our lives, in our marriages, we feel pressure. We feel pressure to serve each other, and we feel pressure to communicate in the right way, and we we feel pressure to to be able to take care of each other and and pressure to to live up to expectations that maybe we put on ourselves or, or that our family or the people around us have put on us. We feel pressure from our friends. We feel pressure from our bosses. We feel pressure in our dating lives, right? You're, you're dating people and you feel pressure to like, you've, you, you've got to act this certain way and you've got to do this certain way and you've got to present yourself a certain way and you've got to cross certain lines because everybody else does it. Everyone else lives this way. Everyone, so why are you being weird about it? We feel pressure in our identity, in our purity, in who we are. We feel pressure to give in to what everyone else says is normal. Maybe for you, you feel pressure in your finances. And what ends up happening is that that pressure pulls you away from your principles. 
I'll be transparent with you for a, a moment, and, and this is, is not a super comfortable thing to talk to you about, but it's, it's just a real thing for us. For Lauren and I, we, we value the importance of being debt-free. Like, we just think it's, it's an incredibly important aspect of our life. It's something we strive for. And actually, right before we moved to California, because we were able to sell our house and God worked out some incredible things, we actually moved here pretty much debt-free. And it was amazing, and it was about nine, ten months before some transitions happened in our life, and here we are, jobless in San Diego, trying to pay bills, trying to plan a church, not taking an income from the church, and, and just trying to make things work, and all of a sudden, debt started to creep back in. And for us, as much as we value not building debt, what we value most in a principle in our life is that our family comes first, our girls come first. And while we could have gotten two and three jobs to ensure that we didn't collect any debt in our lives, what was more important to us that we were, we were there for our girls, that we helped them navigate this transition, that they never felt like they were on the back burner. Because can I be honest with you, in, in the role that I play, especially in the church, it's really, really easy for families to take the back burner. And we just made a commitment and a principle in our life that we weren't going to budge on that. And so that's tough because we weren't willing to budge on that. We, we let debt come back in and now we're actively trying to knock it out and we're trying to do our very best to get that taken care of. But it's not easy. But we draw lines in the sands, lines in our lives, boundaries and principles in our life that we say these are the things that we are not going to budge on. And so I wanted to share a few of those things with you today. What are some principles that when we look at the Bible, we can find and, and some principles that we can build our lives on? And these are just some examples. And there's hundreds in the Bible as you read it and as the Lord shares with you. But I just wanted to share a couple principles that you can look at. And the first one is this, is that we have to love without restraint. We have to love without restraint. We, we can't be the kind of people that say, oh, I, I, love, I love everybody, just accept them, right? Like we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that we can't say, God, I love you, I care about you, I care about your church, but actually hate people in our lives. It would be like me saying, hey, I love you, but I hate your kids. It doesn't, it doesn't resonate, it doesn't work. Another one is that we have to feed our faith and not feed our fear. It doesn't mean that fear doesn't exist in your life. It doesn't mean that when uncertainty comes that you're not supposed to like have a little bit of, of, of fear. But there's a difference between fear coming into your life and you feeding it. A couple of days ago, we were sitting at the breakfast table and all of a sudden, a cat jumps into our backyard and my girls go nuts. They are just freaking out. They're like, it's a cat. We're so excited. They've been begging us for a pet. And we're like, no, we can't have a pet where we're renting. And more importantly, we've done the pet thing. We, we, we are enjoying this break without that added responsibility. You two are plenty enough, right? And so they see this cat and all the adults in the house are saying the same thing. Don't feed the cat. Don't feed the cat. And I wonder if in our lives... We had that same response when fear tries to come in. Don't feed your fear. Don't feed it. Don't keep watching the news that's feeding your fear. Don't keep absorbing all of those things that just keep feeding your fear. 
And I think if, if we were passionate, as passionate as we were to make sure our kids didn't end up getting us a cat, if we were that passionate about ensuring that fear didn't overtake our lives, I think we'd, we'd see some pretty incredible things happen. Another principle that we live by is that we live with boundaries. We talked about for, for our family that our girls are such a major priority. We say no to more things than we're even comfortable saying no to. There, there's things that we feel like we could be a little bit further along in the church if we were willing to kind of cave on that, but we're not willing to. We have boundaries in our life that we, we try to guard that and we, we, we try to protect that. Maybe those, those boundaries are, are for you there in your finances. Maybe it's for you in the way that you interact with different people, with different friends and, and the people that you hang out with. Maybe for you, it's, it's the boundary of like, hey, I'm not going to go alone somewhere with someone from the opposite sex. And it's like, oh, that's so antiquated. Who, who possibly does that? Me. I want to protect myself and the person that I'm with from any possible thing that would make their spouse or my spouse uncomfortable. And that may be antiquated. And that may be something from way back in the day. And we've just got to get over that. There are certain boundaries in our life that we, we put in place to ensure that we're honoring and we're protecting the things that matter most to us. Another one, and this is one that I try to live out, is to be humble and to be uncomfortably transparent. What does that mean? For me, being humble, I've lived those moments of my life where I've allowed arrogance and pride to kind of take root. You know what I'm talking about, those moments in your life when you're waving the banner of yourself, when those moments in my life where I'm waving the banner of Danny of, hey, look at me, look how awesome I am, look how hard I'm working, someone please recognize me. When I live a life of humility, man, God, God just opens doors that only he can. This week I was on a call, I was asked to be a part of something uh, for the region that we're in with, with a bunch of other churches. And man, there's absolutely no reason why I should be on this call. And as I'm hearing their story and I'm hearing what, what God is doing in their lives, and, and some of them have been in ministry for more years than I've even been alive. And here I am in this opportunity. Why? Because God. Because God has opened the door and an opportunity for me to, to be at a table that maybe I don't even have any business being at, but I believe he can use me in that. But if I was sitting there waving the banner going, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me, it never works out. The other part of that is being uncomfortably transparent. Now, what this looks like for me is, and I believe it happens in your life, there's a line that we kind of draw in our lives. Like we're willing to tell that story. We're willing to, to talk to our friends about that fight we had with our spouse. We're willing to talk about that struggle. But then there's a line that we draw in the sand where we're like, hey, I, yeah, I, I can't go that far. I don't want to talk about that. And what I've discovered in my own life, and maybe it's true for you, is that right on the other side of that line that I'm comfortable telling, right on the other side when it feels like, oh, that's a little uncomfortable. That's usually where the truth is, and that's usually the area that I really need help. So when I say to be uncomfortably transparent, 
that's when I cross that line just enough with the right people, right? I'm not saying we just do this with anybody. I'm not saying you go to Starbucks to pick up your mobile order and you just see a random person is like, hey man, I know I haven't met you before, but I just want to let you know I'm, I'm kind of struggling with pornography and I just felt like I should tell you that. No, 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 no. I need an adult. Hello, this is weird. What's happening here? Like, I'm, There are people in your life that you're, you be transparent with that you can trust and you can cross that line to say, hey, this is really uncomfortable for me to share this with you. But I, I just want to let you know that I'm dealing with this. And when we do that, it gives God access to bring a unique healing and a, a unique opportunity for people to be there for us and to really, really help us through something. And the last one is this. We have to give grace generously. We have to be willing to give out the grace that we've received as followers of Jesus to the people in our lives. There's a friend of mine here who's been a pastor for over 30 years, and now he's been doing a, a unique ministry that's geared around this. And he tells me story after story after story of people who have been holding on to unforgiveness for years, for decades in their life, and the damage that it's causing in their life, the inability for God to be able to use them to their fullest potential. And guys, the, the massive spiritual oppression that they're under because they're unwilling to give that grace that they've been so freely given. And, and one day I'll have him share some of his stories with you and, and share a message with you because it's, it's so important for us to understand that the grace we've been given, we have a responsibility to give back to others. We have to give grace generously. Now, again, these are just a handful that we can build into our lives. There's, there's hundreds that we can pull from scriptures, more practical ones that you can, you can establish for your marriage and for dating and for how you interact and, and your business transactions and what do you do at work and what do you do with your family. There, there's so many principles you can establish in your life. But the key is that God wants us to establish those things as we go into this new normal and he wants to be a part of it. He doesn't want us to establish these things on our own. He wants to be intricately involved in those lines that we're drawing in the sand in our lives. When we look back at the story, we see that, that these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they understood something. They understood that compromise doesn't ease the tension. It just weakens our resolve. Compromise doesn't ease the tension between what people in life is trying to pressure you to do. It doesn't make it better. It doesn't, okay, well, if I just give right here, then it'll be all right. Compromise doesn't actually ease the tension. It just breaks down our ability to be resolved in what we believe. And what ends up happening is that as we compromise on those principles, the enemy gets more and more comfortable sneaking in there. And you and I get more and more comfortable bending on those principles we've established in our life. And then all of a sudden, they're no longer principles in our life. They're just values and good ideas that we heard about one time in a message. And what we see as we, we go back into the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, in Daniel 3 is that they're faced with an opportunity again to live out their principles and to push past the pressure that life was putting on them. So as you turn in your Bible and as we, we move forward in the story to Daniel 3, we see that King Nebuchadnezzar has lost his mind. 
This dude has built this gigantic statue of himself. He's pronounced himself as a god, and, and he had this rule that once the music played, then everyone must bow down and worship this statue of himself. Now, if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't eat meat that was offered to God, do you think they're going to bow down and worship one? No. Even though they're now leaders, even though, even though now they had influence, even though now they have something even more to lose because of the position that God had given them the opportunity to lead in, they still stuck to their principles. They refused. So let's see what happens as they, they head before King Nebuchadnezzar. This is chapter 3, starting in verse 14. And it says, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made. And when you hear the sound of musical instruments, but if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? This cat's on a little bit of a power trip. I love verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. Now, in this culture, they actually did. But in their minds, they understood, Nebuchadnezzar, you're, you think you're God, but you're not. And we actually don't have to defend our principles and our values before you, because you're not ultimately the one that's in control. You're actually not even the one who has the real say. And this God that you're questioning who has the power, I think we have a better idea than you do. And right before we go back into the, the rest of this, I wonder for, for some of you if that isn't what God is asking you to do, to stop defending yourself and defending your principles from people who are trying to pressure you to give up on those things. Well, why are you doing that? Nobody else is doing that. Why are you living that life? Why are you choosing to be a part of church? Why are you, why are you making those decisions for your kids and your finances and, and putting boundaries? In your, what, are you, what are you doing that for? You don't have to do that. Nobody else does that. And God, I think he's encouraging us here to say, I, I love you, but I don't have to defend myself for doing what I believe God has called me to do. Back in the, the scripture in verse 17, this is the, the verse everyone loves in the church. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Verse 18, this is the one. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, O mighty king, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. And I'll be honest with you, in the church, we love this. Oh, even if he doesn't show up. Oh, preacher, you better preach. You better let him know. Even if God doesn't show up, I'm not going to give up on him. And we just, man, we love that. We get fired up about it. And in certain churches, they're dancing about it. Oh, yeah, even if he doesn't. But can we be real with each other? for just a moment, if we're honest with ourselves, when God doesn't show up the way that we want him to, rarely do we feel like, 
oh man, even though you didn't do what I thought you were going to do, God, man, I, I, I still trust you. If we're honest, the majority of the time we, we think, God, where are you at? What are you doing? I thought you said you cared. God, God, where are you at in this situation? Like, don't you see what we're up against? God, what, what, what do you mean? Where are you at? Why, why am I going through this? Why am I struggling through this? Why am I still fighting this? God, I thought things would be different. And in order to have the faith that these guys did, our lives have to be grounded and rooted in the principles that can push back the pressure that wants to tell us that God is failing us because he's not answering our prayers the way we thought he would. And we love to say, even if God doesn't show up, I still will trust him. But how many times have we abandoned our relationship with God? How many times have we put him on the back burner because he didn't show up the way we wanted him to? In order for us to not do that, we have to lean into those principles of our lives. It's easy to say we trust God. But the truth is, if we're not careful, our fear, our insecurity, our doubt will creep in and sound so much louder than God. Let's see what happens here. I love this story. Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. And he commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. And he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up, they threw them in. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumps to his feet and he exclaims, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. Verse 25, look, I see four men unbound, unharmed, walking around in the fire. And the fourth one looks like the son of God. Guys, this is so huge. Do you remember last week as we talked about Jacob wrestling this pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus? And we're like, what in the world is that? And it's, it's Jesus coming to earth in some kind of form before he was born as a baby in, in the New Testament. Jesus shows up on the scene and he's wrestling with Jacob. And if you missed that, go back and check out the podcast or, or the YouTube page and you'll be able to hear that story. But here Jesus is again in the middle of the fire. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're walking around the flames, unharmed, unfazed. And Nebuchadnezzar is looking in. He's like, who is this fourth guy that looks like the son of God? Jesus shows up again and walks through the fire. And I, I can imagine Jesus looking at them going, well done, servants. Well done, well done for trusting in God. Well done for staying firm to your principles. Your God is rescuing you today. God is showing up in a way you never thought that was possible. And what you and I have to understand is that Jesus never promised we wouldn't be in the fire. He just promised we wouldn't be there alone. 
Jesus never promised that we weren't going to go through trials. Jesus never promised that we weren't going to have situations. Jesus never promised that we weren't going to go through pain and heartbreak. Jesus never promised that we wouldn't feel the flames around us, feel the heat from our struggles, feeling the, the brokenness of what's going on around us in our world. Jesus never promised that we weren't going to feel those things. He just promised he'd never leave us alone. He promised that he would walk with us through the fire that he would walk with us. And you and I, so many times, we're just trying to avoid the fire. And sometimes Jesus wants to do something as we walk through it. Jesus is speaking to you today. And he's saying, don't let the flames around you make you think that I'm not present. Don't let the waves and the storms and the chaos and the wind and the rain and the destruction and the heartbreak, don't let those things distract you from the fact that I'm still right here with you. Our principles allow us to have the faith to go through the fire. The story ends with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego coming out of the fire. And as they come before Nebuchadnezzar, he says, I don't... I don't know who your God is, but he is the one true God. And he, he goes extreme because he was a crazy little cat. And he's like, if anyone says anything bad about your God, I will rip them limb from limb. It's like, oh my goodness, man, that's, that's a bit much. But what happened in, that, in their lives and what happened in that moment reshaped and redefined Nebuchadnezzar's lives as much as it did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's. So as we close today, we have to ask ourselves, what are the principles we need to establish in our life as we go into this new normal? What are the principles that we need to have in our life in order for God to speak to our hearts? What are the principles we need to build our lives on that are non-negotiable in order for God to be able to let our faith rise up when we walk through the fire? We can determine today that our lives will not be defined by pressure, but they'll be defined by our principles. What are your principles? What are those things that you will hold on to when the waves and the fire and the wind and the world around you crumbles? What will you hold on to? Those are the things that God wants to speak to you about and encounter you and reshape and redefine your life moving forward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this story, this story of unbelievable faith, this story of unbelievable courage. But most importantly, God, I thank you that we have the opportunity to have that same moment with you, where you can meet us in the middle of our fire, meet us in the middle of our storms, and be able to speak to us that we can be faithful and, and just hold on to who you say you want us to be. God, your purpose for our life is so much bigger than the pressure. The principles you want to establish in our lives are so much stronger than the pressure. God, speak through the noise to us. Help us carve out the time to write down those principles that we're going to build into our family, into our home, into our workplace. And we know that as we do that, God, you will use those in mighty and extraordinary ways. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
We hope that you enjoyed the message today. We would love to be able to partner with you on your faith journey. Regardless of where you're at or what you're walking through, know that your friends at City Hills Church are here for you. If you would like for us to pray for you, click the contact button on the top of the homepage and share your request with us. Our prayer team will keep you and your family in prayer every week. We hope you have an incredible day and that you discover a little more purpose throughout your week. We look forward to seeing you soon.